read what's in italics, so I will start to qualify. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater. I am a hundred pounder, which means, uh, if you don't know, that I have uh, the burden of having to have lost 100 pounds. I have lost 100 pounds. I'll give you the statistics. Um, I have uh, be- I became absent, or I uh, walked into uh, Serenity Sunday down the road here uh, on July 5th, 2009. So that's almost 13 years ago, uh, and I weighed 200, I'm sorry, 339 pounds uh, on that date. Uh, last time I weighed, which was on the first of the month, I weighed 205 pounds, uh, which is, a, first of all, a miracle that I'm actually saying that out loud. Uh, and secondly, uh, that would be, what, 134 pounds, something like that? Yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, so a fair amount of weight. Uh, uh, and uh, I have found peace and freedom around my eating, which is really the idea for me. You know, uh, my opinion. Uh, that, that's you know, we we come here, you know, because we're desperate, and I was, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, yeah, uh, uh, but and I thought I was desperate to lose weight, but I was really desperate to find peace and freedom around food because I had none. I had no peace and freedom around food. Um, I don't want to get bogged down in the history, even though I have a little extra time than normally when you pitch, but I could be in the pain, horror, and, and humor of my compulsive eating for days and not tell you every story. Um, but I will just say that... Uh, Growing up as a fat kid in the 60s and 70s was no bargain because there was no political correctness back then. And everybody took their pot shots at me. Uh, friends, and I should put, say, friends with air quotes, right? Friends, uh, you know, uh, teachers, strangers. And, you know, my parents, you know, did it, uh, you know, trying to be in a loving way, but. Uh, if I had a dollar for every time I was cajoled into trying to uh, do a new plan, uh, I would be wealthy. I would have a house up the street here in Beverly Hills. Uh, you know, a dollar a pound, uh, this if I do this, you know, uh, a new car when I got older. Yeah, whatever it was, I was bribed. It rarely worked. Uh, actually, it never worked. Uh, and I did go on some uh, diets, but as the book says, they were uh, their brief periods of recovery followed always by a still worse relapse, and that was very much my story. Uh, I was a fat teenager. I was a fat. I was a fat kid. I was a fat adolescent. I was a fat teenager, a fat young adult, and a fat adult. And I had a kid. Like I said, occasionally I wasn't, but for the most part I was. And there was a lot of pain in that. I won't really get into the, all the details, but there is still. To this day, some P- a PTSD around it. I mean, I still sometimes think of myself as that 340-pound guy, uh, and uh, you know that has its you know that, that causes its issues. Uh, but uh, I am not that 340-pound guy. So what happens? You know, uh, the pa- you know I'll just put it this way: the pain became so significant that I needed to do something about it. It was just that simple. I was uh, 50 years old, uh, and I, li- I had a two-story home, and I was out of breath when I got up to the top level. I was literally out of breath when I got up to the top level of my house. Uh, I was angry. I got myself into a bad business deal, so I was broke. 
Uh, I, so I was literally, uh, you know, financially, morally, spiritually bankrupt. And the pain of that bankruptcy, the pain of being that empty vessel, which I really was, uh, an empty, very large vessel, uh, was, uh, you know, was too much. And uh, I had been in OA briefly in the 80s. Uh, and I won't go into my experience there, but it was dying with group support for the most part. Um, and then uh, I left and I you know, met the girl and said, thanks. See you later. Thanks for playing. Uh, and off I went. And as my buddy Harlan likes to say, the graduation song from Overusers Anonymous is welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? And so I was off and running with a vengeance. Uh, and regain, I, I came in at 300, left at 200, and came back at 340, so you can do the math. Um, so I was about to get the gastric bypass surgery because that was the easier, softer way. Um, and, uh, uh, and it's not. Someone says that that's not the easier, softer way. It appeared to be the easier, softer way. Uh, and uh, I have really good health insurance, and uh, I could have gotten it for free. And uh, I, went to, uh, uh, I went to the information sessions and they showed me how much I could eat. And for those of you who are listening uh, on a podcast, I'm holding my hand up in a circle that's about an inch or two uh, big. And that's what you could eat, like uh, you know, an ounce of chicken and a sprig of parsley and a piece of broccoli. And I looked at that and I said, I may be overstating it, but I looked at it was very small portions. And I looked at that and I said, if I if that's all I can eat over the course of a day, I will be insane. But I didn't let that stop me. You know, so I kept going and I met with a surgeon and he said to me, um, he said to me, uh, yeah, you're a great candidate for the surgery. You lose at least half your weight. And all you have to do is go see my shrink. She'll tell me you're fine and we'll do the surgery. And it really kind of hit me between the eyes because I knew I wasn't okay. And so if I'm going to see a shrink, I should find out if I'm fine, not go to a rubber stamp for a guy who wants to you know, rearrange my guts, literally. And, uh, uh, and so I sought out a therapist who I knew from my first foray in OA. And I called him and I said, uh, hey, uh, I need to see a therapist can I come see you professionally? I'm kind of broke, but I've got great health insurance. And he said, no. Said, what do you mean, no? I'm offering you money for your services. And he said, no. He said, uh, you're my friend. I said, friend, you're like a bad penny. I see every once every four years you turn up. You know, I mean, like, and literally I'd seen him three or four times in 20 years since I had been in OA. And he said, uh, no, I, I can't see you professionally, but uh, I have, I, you want to meet for coffee Wednesday at 2? I've got two hours. So I said, so you're going to do for me for free what I'm offering to pay you money for? He said, yeah. So I said, okay, fine. Now, I didn't know then that his plan was to, you know, uh, I, there's a term we used to use that I'm told is politically incorrect, so I'm trying to find other words. He, he was going to guide me back to the program. Uh, but, uh, uh, and he did. And he did. Uh, and so that's why I decided to come in uh, to the program on July 5th. July 5th was not a coincidental date. It was the day after July 4th, which is when I tied the last one on. Because the one thing that did, you know, uh, sort of define me prior to that was that I was always going to do something tomorrow. 
or Monday, or the first of the month, or next week, or Al Malaguena. It doesn't matter. You just keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And, you know, uh, and that was who I was. So I did go to the July 4th party. I did eat an unconscionable amount of food, including everything that I knew that I wouldn't be eating, because that was how my mind worked at that point in time. And then I came in July 5th, and the difference between when I came in on July 5th, 2009, and the first time I came in, was that uh, when I got to the door at Serenity Sunday and I put my hand on the door, I said, God, I don't know if you're out there. And I don't know if I deserve to ask you for any help because I have not been a particularly good child. Uh, I have not paid much attention to you over the last 20 years. Uh, you were, uh, you're really more of a teabag spirituality. When I got in hot water, I would occasionally say, hey, God, what's going on? But uh, really haven't spent much time thinking about you. But if you're out there, would you please help me to not compulsively eat today? And then I walked into the room. And I heard what I needed to hear, and I even spoke, uh, because I was a raw nerve. I really was. I was just sitting there, literally shaking. I mean, I was just, you know, in a really bad spot. Uh, but I didn't have to compulsively eat that day. And then I called that therapist, and I said, well, since you got me into this, you have to get me through this, so you are going to be my sponsor. <laughs> I did not ask. I told, but I, he was receptive. And he became my sponsor, and I created an abstinence. And that abstinence was a bunch of foods I didn't eat, three meals a day, and a snack. Um, and I started to do that, and I lost six pounds the first month. When you're 239 pounds, and you're used to going on diets and losing 20 or 30 pounds in a month, six pounds is not a happy result. But I said, okay, let's keep going. And the next month, I lost, anybody, six pounds. And I said, well, i got to look at my food. So I gave up certain foods, including French fries, which uh, was hard. Uh, and uh, I, uh, the next month, I lost six pounds. And the month after that, I lost six pounds. Uh, and before I, I, I go through, I should say that there were, you know, I am incredibly grateful to many people uh, there's actually someone in this room who um, who uh, I led the newcomers meeting on my second week here, and she spoke my story. We're not alike in many ways. We are alike in some ways, in, in many ways, but we're not alike in many ways. But she told my story. And she talked about being a food pharmacist and a chemist with food that I would create exactly what I needed to make myself feel better in that moment, whether it was crunchy or salty or sweet or the combination of, of all of those things. And that was what I did. I treated my pain with food. And I don't have to do that anymore. And so we'll talk about what happened. So what happened was, first of all, I asked God for help. Now, I didn't really have a, a, a tremendous spiritual practice. I'm uh, Jewish. I missed God lessons in Hebrew school. Uh, I don't know what Jewish people think about God, even to this day. I know how to, where to get a great corned beef sandwich. But I don't know, you know, uh, I, Delhi Jew is, you know, how I put it, right? You know, I, I, mean, I know some of the cultural aspects of it, but I really never got into the spiritual aspects of it. Now I don't need to because I found the spiritual path. 
but I had to come to that, you know, my own personal journey, not led by a rabbi or a priest or a shaman or really anybody but Bill Wilson, you know, anybody but the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where, you know, that's my Bible. That's my spiritual, that's where I found my spiritual path. And so, um, back to the six pounds, I lost six pounds a month every month for 18 months. And I'm not kidding. It was almost eerie. I would get on the scale because I only weigh once a month. I would get on the scale at the first of the month and I would say, okay, God, six pounds, you're very funny. And I'd step on the scale and sure enough, it was six pounds. And God was funny that way. But I lost, you know, 110 pounds. Uh... You know, uh, doing that, or 105 pounds, something in that range. You know, six pounds a month, and uh, and I found a spiritual practice because what I wasn't doing was living in reality. What I wasn't doing was coming to terms with my life as it was. You know, I was living in uh, either fantasy or desperate need to change things that never changed. Um. And, you know, now I live in what I call radical acceptance. The world is the way the world is. My situation is the way my situation is. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. I'm truly, I'm blessed. And if I really look at my life, I have many, many blessings. And some things aren't so great. And, you know, and I, I can live with that now. You know, and I make decisions... I don't make spur-of-the-moment decisions. I contemplate things. I think about things. I talk to people about issues in my life. And it helps me tremendously make, I think, better decisions. So I, I, came up, I, I went through step one, admitting I was powerless. Admission, dictionary definition, admission to come to the truth with reluctance. I don't know anyone who skips their way into this program. Hey, I get to go to OA. Isn't that great? Oh, let's go there. I, I've never seen that. If you've had that experience, please tell me. I doubt anyone will be lining up to tell me that afterwards. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I had to admit, right, I had a problem. You know, my problem went beyond the fact that I liked, you know, sweets. You know, just did. Um, I had to c- come to believe in a power greater than myself. That was a little bit of an issue. You know, turn my will and my life over to a power greater than myself that I've just come to believe in. That's not an easy task. And so I went down to the beach one day to contemplate it, because I live in Santa Monica. Went down to the beach, and I was sitting down on a little berm near the, the shore, and the tide was coming in, and I was fat and didn't feel like moving. And uh, I said, God, stop the waves. Waves didn't stop. They kept coming closer. So I got up and moved. Then it was getting cooler. And I said, God, please stop the earth from turning so that it's, it doesn't get dark and cold. But the earth kept turning. And then I realized there's so many things that I have no control over. Why am I fighting it? There's a power greater than me. Okay, whatever that power is, and you can call it science, you can call it gravity, you can call it God, you can call it, you know, you know uh, uh, whatever, you know. And, and it's there. I'm not the master of the universe. I can't make things happen that aren't supposed to happen. And what does happen is what's supposed to happen. And that was a radical th- thought for me. Because, you know, my title at work is showrunner, or was showrunner, right? I was the guy in charge, but I'm not. 
Yeah, I may be in charge of a cadre of 30 or 40 people making a bad television program. <laughs> but I'm not in charge of the world. You know, it's just I'm just not. So, I lost the weight. I got a spiritual practice. I made some mistakes. I did some good things. And I tootled along. <coughs> and then I started gaining weight. Regaining some weight in abstinence. So that list of foods that I wasn't eating, I still wasn't eating those foods. But I was, you know, mealtime became a time and not a meal. So anything that happened between 7 and 7.30 at night was dinner. And as long as it wasn't on that list, let's go. You know, and so now living in reality has its, you know, issues, right? Not everything is the way you want it to be. And so I would take the edge off of that reality at lunch and dinner. Breakfast was always kind of the same thing. But at lunch and dinner, it's like, okay, let's go. If it's not on that list, let's go. And I gained probably 15 or 20 pounds in abstinence over the course of a few months. And I talked to my sponsor, who is a lovely human being, and I adore him to this day, and he saved my life, and I am eternally grateful to him. But he didn't have the language to talk to me about food like that. And I went to Serenity Sunday one day, and I heard a guy talking about sober eating. That it's not just about what we don't eat, but it's about how we do eat. And I went, shit. I need that. And so I approached him, and he, you know, uh, and we all know, anyone who's been in the program for a while knows that many people approach you and say, I want what you have, give me your phone number, and then you never hear from them again. So he was skeptical, but I, you know, we talked, and he said, come to the 7.30 meeting in Studio City next Sunday, and afterwards we'll go out to breakfast, and I'll tell you how we do it. And never expecting to see me there, but sure enough, I showed up, and we went out to breakfast, and I went out to breakfast with about three or four other guys, and who practice this sober eating and they're sitting there and I expected like you know four guys in robes praying over a soft boiled egg right and, and what I got was you know five you know a-holes you know sitting there screaming yelling laughing joking you know and ordering some guys ordered bread and some guys had cheese on there and I'm like you know and the food came and the sparks are flying off their forks and they're eating and yelling and laughing finally I said what's so sober about what you guys are doing and they laughed and explained it to me. And the basic premise is that, you know, we meter what we eat. You know, we create a sober eating plan that has amounts in it. So that I can't sit down at dinner and say, hey, it's between 7 and 7.30. I'll take seconds and thirds and what's on your plate and what's going on. Because it's not on that, that, that list that I made. I can eat it. Well... That's just not, you know, and of course the older we get, the less food we can eat anyway. And so that's just, you know, not, doesn't work, that wasn't working for me anymore. And so I threw in with these guys and created a sober eating plan and lost the weight that I gained and a little bit more. And then I kind of evened out, you know, at about uh, two and a quarter, two thirty, uh, because I wanted to eat like I was 30 and I was in my 50s. And uh, I have bad news for you. If you're in your 30s, you won't be able to eat like that forever. And if you're in your 50s, you've got to give up some food. Uh, and so I realized I needed to give up some food, but it took me several years to come to that realization uh, because I lost over 100 pounds. I was at a relatively healthy body weight, and I was like, that's, that's okay. And then I realized, you know, how many you know, uh, 75-year-olds do you know that are 250 or 300? And the answer is not many if any. 
and that I needed to look at that. And so I readjusted with, you know, in, and one of the tenets of sober eating is I, don't, I make no unilateral food decisions. So I called my sponsor up and I said, I need to lose weight. He said, says who? He said, me. I said, yeah, you don't get a say. So did your doctor tell you no? Did I tell you no? Stick to the plan. I'm like, but I... He said, stick to the plan. And about a month later, I went to the doctor. I have a little back-tweaking issue, and I went to the doctor to see if I could get it fixed up. And he said, you know, you can do this, we'll do that. You know, it wouldn't hurt to lose 20 pounds. Now, I'd heard that a lot of times in my life. And, you know, basically my answer was, <laughs> yeah, fine. Uh, and ignored it. This time, I was never so happy to hear that. I ran back to the phone, called my sponsor. The doctor said to lose weight. Okay, go see a nutritionist. Come back to me. We'll figure it out. So I eat 10 ounces of protein a day now. Four at one meal and six at the other. And if you know, if you know measurements, it ain't a lot. And I didn't think I could do it. But I asked God for help. And I was able to do it. And... Uh, uh, and I found a new level of willingness because I asked God for a new level of willingness. I said, I, you know, I, I got to do this. I got to, you, know, uh, you know, the doctor said to do it. I want to. And so in the last six months since this happened, I've lost another 20 or 25 pounds or 30 pounds. I don't even know. I don't really keep that strict a track. But uh, I started, you know, when I started losing weight, I was probably 228 or 230, and now I'm 205, so whatever that comes out to. And I have a new peace and freedom around food, because I'm not struggling. I have a very defined food plan, and that is, you know, four ounces of protein in one meal, six ounces in another, and produce for the most part. You know, I have a little rice here and there, a little, you know, some potatoes, but, you know, you know measured. Everything is measured, um, which I never thought I'd do, because when I walked in the room, I said, I will never weigh and measure. I'll do anything you tell me, but I will not weigh and measure. Now I weigh and measure. <laughs> you know, because that's what the indicated action was. Uh, and, you know, and I don't worry about it. You know, there are meals I look down, I go, Shh, this isn't going to cover me for the next four hours. You know, this is, I'm going to be hungry in 20 minutes. And I say, God, please help this be enough. And it's always enough. It's always enough. You know, it takes 26 days for a human being to starve. I'm afraid of being hungry for 26 minutes. <laughs> and I need help around that. Because if I'm hungry for half an hour, I look at, you know, I have a snack now. I have two snacks a day instead of one. I have a four o'clock snack. I mean, it's an afternoon snack. I can have it as of four o'clock. And I look at the, you know, I look at the clock. And the clock keeps getting closer to four. If it's 20 to four and I'm hungry, I can live for 20 minutes. And I, oftentimes I say, okay, well, you can wait till 4. And then I look up and it's 4.30. So how does that happen, right? I'm not hungry for that hour because I ask God for help. I ask a fellow for help. I'll pick up the phone. Hey, I'm hungry. I can't have my snack for half an hour. And basically, you know, what I get back is, you know, tough. Tough it out. You'll be fine. You'll live. And I do because I'm alive. I went to the doctor. I know I only have a minute left. So I went to the doctor recently. He said to me, Words I never thought I would hear, which was, your weight is no longer negatively impacting your health. That's amazing. 
because that's the, la- the opposite of everything my doctors have told me since I was 12. Um, and I looked at, you know, so it was a full physical and all the blood tests. I looked at the test, everything, every marker is right down the middle. Now, I'm not saying I'm the picture of health, but I've begun to exercise more. I've begun to, uh, I have begun to, uh, uh, you know, to really look after my health because I'm getting to that age where one needs to. Uh, and, you know, I've been given this gift of peace and freedom around food. It, it is no longer an emotional issue. It is a factual issue. I eat what I'm supposed to eat. I report it to my sponsor. I pray every day. And I know my time is up, but I'm going to say one last thing, which is I, I, I don't have a very specific vision of God. I don't personify God. There's no robe or staff or beard or anything like that. And I don't know if God listened to... God's got a lot of things on his mind, right? I don't know if he's listening to me in the morning when I say, God, please, every morning I say, God, please, today, can you help me to not compulsively eat? But I know one person who does here, and that's me. So when I ask God for help, I don't know that God's got a clipboard going, oh, let's see if I can mess Jeff up today, or oh, I'll help Jeff today. But I know that I hear it, and I know that I listen. Uh, and uh, I'm out of time. I could say more, but I'm out of time, so I will be uh, respectful and say thank you for letting me share. This is time for questions only. There's no sharing in this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Amen. When asking questions, you do not need to identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the podcast, and I'm supposed to restate the question. Jeff, good to see you, sir. Nice to see you. Uh, A question for you, and that is, how has service informed your program? How has service informed my program? Um, Well, you know, I... yeah, service has its, 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 uh, its positives and its negatives. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, I have to cop to the fact that I have always been that asshole. You know, I was vice president of my class in high school. I was captain of the stage crew. I was the head of the radio station in college. Yeah, I'm that sort of, I need to be the guy with the baton in his hand schmuck. You know, uh, and that hasn't necessarily... Uh, you know, gone away in, in my life. Uh, so I've done a lot of service. I was actually chair of the LA Indian Group for a time. Uh, no, don't even, don't, you were on the board. You shouldn't applaud. You know how messy that was. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, I have always had the feeling that I need to give back to be able to take with a clear conscience. And I've gotten so much from this program, so much from this program, that I feel it would be unconscionable for me not to give back. Uh, and so that, that feeling combined with that sort of I need to be the guy in charge, you know, uh, mentality, you know, sort of merged and perhaps is even helpful. Now, you know, um, I also want to take pride in what I have done in the way of service, but I can't do that because pride goeth before the fall, right? I mean, uh, 
anything that I have has been given to me wrapped in a gift in a box with a beautiful bow on top of it all the good things in my life were completely given to me and handed to me by my higher power and including whatever abilities I might have to be a quote unquote leader or give service you know I didn't decide to do that you know so service is for my program in that it allows me to give back it allows me to feel comfortable taking because I've given and not just money but time and, and effort and it also kind of keeps me humble because even though I did this and I did that and that was it's, you know it's, it's not me it's my higher power it's my higher power working through me you know a sponsor once told me do God's work not his job and so by being in service it allows me to be to remember to be process oriented and not results oriented because I can't control the results but I can't control the process so I don't know if that answered your question we're almost, except I just want to find out where in the Big Book it refers to the word schmuck. Where in the Big Book does the word schmuck, it's, it's implied. <laughs> Maybe I'm reading between the lines. Thank you, Jeff. You're terrific. I was a delegate when you were a leader, and it was fantastic. Thank you. Um, ah, uh, Jeff, I come from the Godwell Punishment School of Judaism. And it took me a long time to get rid of that punishing God. Um, and I just wonder, and I went through an evolution similar to yours, but I wonder how that process went with you when you finally said, wait a minute, there's got to be something better than being punished all the time. <laughs> right. Uh, the question was, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a view that God is punishing and how did I overcome that to, you know, to God is replenishing as opposed to punishing. Um, yeah, I, you know, the, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know. I don't really know. All I, th there was, there was one. You know, uh, in the big book, Bill talks about you know the the lightning bolt experience. You know, the light bulb experience that he had in in the town's hospital. Uh, the closest thing I've come to that is that day on the beach where I realized that I can't, you know, I was broke and, I, you know, I have a house and I was broke and the, the, the grass kept growing and I had to keep paying the gardener. And I, had, I, I wanted the grass to stop growing. But if I really wanted it, I'd have to go buy fake turf and that would have been too much money, right? So how do, you know, I, how, the, the, how do I stop, you know, certain things from happening and keep others from, I can't. I can't stop the earth from turning. I can't stop the grass from growing. I can't stop the leaves from falling. You know, I can't do these things. They're well beyond my power. And I really never thought about it in those terms. So when I thought about it in those terms, it was, aha. And then I said, okay, what do I want my God to be? Now, one would think, you know, I'm a, I used to be a game show producer. And, you know, a fact is a fact. Double, double source, no Wikipedia. Right? A fact is a fact. What is the fact about God? Well, there is no fact about God. You know, the dictionary definition, because I'm a game show producer, the dictionary definition of, 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 uh, of uh, faith is belief absent rigorous proof. I can't prove that my God exists, but I know it works. Okay? Perhaps 134 pounds of weight loss is that proof. 
But other than that, I can't prove it. Okay, so I, I so I just felt I created, you know, a, a sort of, you know, a, a higher power that works for me that isn't in conflict with what most religions would say. But if you look at spirituality, you know, there's Christians, there's Jews, there, you know, there's 19 sects of Christianity, there's Catholicism, there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, there's Muslims, right? And, and they all access God in a different way. But it's just access to God. There's a God or a spirit of the universe. People just choose to access it. So I'm not, if I say the Jews are the only ones who are right, then 98% of the world is wrong. And I don't think that's the case. If I say the, the Muslims are right, then 75% of the world is wrong. So we all access our higher power in a different way. And so my higher power isn't punishing. My higher power is helpful. I don't always get what I want. Sometimes I go, oh, great, God, thanks a lot. But, you know, that's how it, you know, that's reality. And so a mixture of radical acceptance, living in reality, and having a God of my understanding has allowed me to sort of navigate the world in a little bit more of a peaceful way. And so, I don't know, again, I don't know if I, I you ask me what time it is, I tell you how to make a watch, so I'm not sure that answered your question, but, you know, I hope it did. Thank you, Jeff. So many quotable quotes. Um, how do you maintain your abstinence uh, when you're facing life's upheavals and disappointments? How do I uh, maintain my abstinence when I'm facing difficulties, upheavals, disappointments? I actually find that it's almost easier for me to do that because I become more focused on the fact that I cannot treat those maladies with food. Uh, my, food is, uh, my food's pretty clean all the time, but it's even cleaner when I'm pissed off or when, I'm, or when something bad you know, happens when I get bad news, when when difficult things happen. It's like, I'm not going to let food get in the way of this. And then I deal with it. And then I deal with it. I talk to my sponsor. I talk to fellows. I pitch about it. I write about it. I, you know, I, I'll wear it. You know, I'll wear my, you know, I, I've never been, you know, except when I'm playing poker, I don't have much of a poker face. And so, you know, I'll just live it. Uh, and I make goddamn sure that I am not going to eat over it because I know that that is never the answer to my problems. It was for a long time and it worked for a minute or ten. But, you know, when I was in a difficult spot, I would work in Hollywood, live in Santa Monica, it's a half hour drive and I'd stop at three 7-Elevens to treat my illness, to treat my, you know, jangled nerves. That didn't work because when I got home, the situation was still there. So it gave me relief for literally minutes. And sometimes that's all I get relief from now. Sometimes, God, please help me. God, please take these feelings away from me. And it works for a little while, and then they're back. And I have to do it again. But I'd rather ask God for help or talk to a fellow or write about it than eat about it. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, what is your daily? Oh, thank you, by the way, so much. Um, what is your daily spiritual experience? Like, what is your my daily spiritual practice? Yes, yeah. uh, <laughs> my my shenanigans around God. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, literally, the first thing that I do is say, God, thank you for another day on this side of the earth, and could you please help me to not compulsively eat today? Very first thing. Now, 
occasionally it's like, oh shit, it's six o'clock, or oh, I gotta turn the alarm off, or I need to use the restroom. But, but within that first thirty seconds, those those words spill. You know, I don't actually say them out loud, but they go through my head. And then I uh, I read, or actually, kind of, I can recite it on my own now on awakening. Because I need to remember that uh, I need to ask God to divorce my thinking from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And notice that self-pity is the first one. You'd think dishonest would be the first one, or, or right? No, self-pity, because I can do that all freaking day. And it doesn't matter. Why am I driving a Hyundai instead of a, a Tesla? Yo, yo, boom, I'm into self-pity. Pour me, pour me, pour me a milkshake, right? So I have to make sure that I direct my thinking away from that. Then I do the third step prayer, the serenity prayer, and a prayer that says, God, please, just for today, allow me to not binge eat or eat for my own sensual pleasure. Instead, allow me to use food as medicine to support my body and soul so I may be of service to at least one other person. And I say those three prayers most of the time before I get out of bed, sometimes after I use the restroom. Uh, and then... Uh, that's my morning and that, you know, stuff. And then uh, I write an email to my sponsor. Uh, and the email is pretty simple. It's what's keeping me from God. And then I report my food for the day before. And then I do a similar routine at night. It's, uh, uh, it's the uh, thanking God for the day. Kind of reviewing the day. You know, doing a little, you know, 11th-ish step thing. Uh, have I been dishonest? Have I been, you know, uh, have I been selfish? Have I been irrational? Have I been angry? You know, and I kind of review that and I ask God to take whatever negative feelings might be, uh, you know, rattling around. And then I, uh, uh, and then I go, uh, uh, I say the third step prayer and the serenity prayer, uh, or I fall asleep. Sometimes I don't make it through all the, the whole thing because, yeah, uh, but yeah, that's my, that's, and, and then I read the big book, I go to meetings, and I talk about God because I never did that when I was a compulsive eater because I didn't really believe in God. So. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, you touched on this earlier, I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit on it. You said early on in the program that you had to give up the concept of controlling everything. Uh, do you still struggle with that today? And when the rat brain goes into overtrack to control everything, what do you do? Uh, right, I'll try and repeat the question. Is uh, I talked about uh, not being in control and do. Uh, am I still trying to wrest control back? Uh, and the answer is once in a while, uh, but a lot, not much, truthfully, because uh, I get that I'm not in control. You know, now in traffic. Not so much. You know, I mean, traffic is still sort of a, a, an issue for me. But what I do in traffic is I get on the phone to fellows, for the most part, or to friends and try and distract myself from the fact that the guy in front of me doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, I know better how to drive than you. Not you personally, but the, the generic. <laughs> you know, I know better. I grew up in New York. I know how to drive. Oh, yeah. uh, which is why I don't have yellow light food, because I never met a yellow light that didn't want to drive. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't, I know I'm not in control. And so I don't often try and rest it back. Occasionally at work, you know, 
because in my view, there's the word should, and I got this from Herb K, but the, uh, the word should is not something that I really, I really can tell somebody, because should is God's job. Right now, I can tell my kids what they should or shouldn't do, but they don't listen. And I could t- tell my employees, I don't really have many employees anymore, but when I had employees, uh, I, you know, I could tell them what they should do because I get to set that bar. But I know that I'm not in the should business anymore, uh, except in traffic. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't have to rest back control because I know I don't have it. And, you know, I've been doing this for 13, almost 13 years. It's not something that happened. In year two, I would have had a much different answer to that question. And in year five, I would have had a much different answer to that question. In year ten. You know, and if you want to hear more about, you know, your, the phases of, you know, of recovery in terms of time, uh, Terrell has a great speech that's on the OA podcast about, you know, how his absence has changed over the 45 years. He's been absent, and I would recommend that you listen to that, because that's basically my my deal. So. Can you tell the difference between your role and your role, and then um, Uh, so how do I tell the difference between my will and God's will, and, uh, and how, what do I do when my will and God's will don't mesh? Is that more or less when I get smacked down because I'm too willful? Last week, I'm having some tremendous positive things happen in my life, and I shared with somebody, and I Yeah, okay. So, so really it's about how does God's will and my ego is really what you're asking because I have a certain, uh, I have a certain image of myself and when that image is burst or when something that I really want, I don't get, how do I deal with, you know, uh, with that being God's will? And the answer is radical acceptance. It's God's will. Too effing bad. Okay? Too effing bad. You know, uh, I want a lot of things. Some of them are reasonable. Some of them are unreasonable. I can't always have what I want. I can't always get what I want. I can't. My life isn't always the way I want it to be. And sometimes it smacks you in the head. And it's just, God, please help me get through this. God, please help me see this for what it is. God, please help me accept. Radical acceptance. Accept the world the way it is. It ain't the way I want it. But I got to adjust to it. I actually have a lot of very positive things happen in my life. And I think that somebody really, really wants to attack me for example. It's the other way around. Right. Um, I think that's. Yeah, I think my time is up, but we can talk about it afterwards. Okay. Um, thank you again.